Bibles, especially to Titus 2. Uh, 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 we're going to be going in many different places. Zechariah 14 you want to be in also. Um, we live in amazingly interesting times. Uh, I think that you cannot help but to have turned on the news in the last couple of days and see that we literally have a concern that we're on the brink of a major nuclear exchange between uh, India and Pakistan. That the armies have moved closer, that India has warned Pakistan and Pakistan has warned India back, and you have a country of a billion people threatening to go to war over Kashmir. I mean, this literally could be a domino effect that would put us in one of the greatest turmoils we've ever experienced as two uh, countries get ready to exchange uh, uh, war. And one, uh, for sure, if not two, has nuclear capabilities. And Pakistan has an agreement with us that we would intercede. And you have never, ever experienced a time, if we have to do that, this nation's never had to fight a battle like that. It's amazing times we live in. I would use the word awesome. And the word awesome uh, uh, has a positive connotation, but it actually comes from the word awfully terrible. Uh, it's, it's an off, awfulness that just blows us away, and we see that happening. Uh, Iran is threatening to develop nuclear weapons and not only develop them, but to use them against Israel. Uh, uh, Israel has already given notice that they may attack Iran. And uh, it wasn't that long ago that some high up people in the European community actually expressed a desire for Israel to put an end to Iran's threats by taking them out. But of course, the European community isn't willing to do it. But what happens if Israel makes good? What happens if Israel attacks? Again, it could create a domino effect that would put the world in the greatest time of turmoil ever. But beyond that, uh, what the Bible says about Israel in the last days, uh, uh, it is literally uh, positioning us, without a doubt, closer to the beginning of the end than we could almost ever imagine. Uh, we hear of um, disease on, on the brink of, of actually breaking out that could potentially fulfill the prophecy in Scripture of a one-quarter drop in the world population over a brief period of time due to disease. And, and we're seeing this break out in many different fronts and have potential in ways maybe we never have before. Of course, the avian flu now is very well known, the H5N1 strain of flu, that if that were to break out, would kill 8 out of 10 people that get it. And uh, no one knows if we can develop a, uh, a, an immunity uh, agent in time. No one knows if we can uh, have shots that would work because they don't know exactly what kind of form this would take. And, and city after city has held disaster drill if this flu break comes. And, and I think you all know of it, uh, but we've kind of forgotten what a pandemic could do. Uh, but there are others that are out there. For instance, on World News Tonight, on November the 12th, 2008, they had an article or actually a story about Clostridium difficile, which is uh, uh, an infectious disease. It's a superbug impervious to anything we know to stop it. But are you ready for this? 7,100 people a day in the United States contract this disease. And uh, this, this, uh, this, this superbug, this, this infection. 7,100 people a day in the United States contract it. 300 people a day die from it. And uh, it, it's an infection that's been created by our using an antibiotics in an unsafe way. And, and so what's happened is it's impervious to anything we know to stop it. But here's what the, the article said on World News Tonight. It is literally a generation away uh, from mutating into a literal 
pandemic-killing disease, which would just literally go from wiping out 300 people a day to maybe 7,000 people a day, except for the thing is that if it made that mutation, it would be even more infectious. By the way, I don't know if I told you this, the scariest part of it is all of those 7,100 people who get it, get it in a hospital in the United States. That's what you can track it. It's just floating around. It's, it's on a water fountain you drink from or uh, uh, something that hasn't been cleaned and sterilized quite as aggressively as they wish they could. And uh, in the midst of just hospital settings, this happens. And, and we're a mutation away from this beginning to fulfill exactly what Scripture said would happen in a disease. We live in amazing times. We live in a time where our world economy could literally take a disastrous turn. We know that. We know what's going on. We know the world's in a fragile state economically. And China, which now has risen to incredible influential power in the economic realm, is pushing and pushing and pushing for the dollar not to be what so many countries base their, their financial stability on. As a matter of fact, China is pushing for a one unifying stability kind of currency, which could very quickly lead to that worldwide currency that the scripture talks about. Uh, and, and you have a major economic power pushing for that. And the point I want to make is all around us, we see different things happening that are positioning us. And, and we begin to go, wow, as I look at prophecy and I look at what God says is going to happen, I'm seeing this start to come to, to fruition before my eyes. If you haven't been with us the three previous weeks, we, we kind of based this particular four-week series out of 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter tells us that the prophets of old made careful search and inquiry uh, about what was to take place. Now, the point I wanted to get everyone to understand in our first week was a wise person would follow the prophet's example of studying and making careful search and inquiry as to the kind of times we live in and what's happening. Peter goes on to tell us that they, they began to realize that what they were studying was not for themselves, but for a date that they would be looking towards. And by the way, you and I need to ask the question, are we studying this for ourselves, or is it something still to come? But, but here's the main point I want you to grab. Lots of prophecy that was given was not given for the people of its day and time. For instance, the book of Revelation was not, uh, from chapter 4 on, was not given for the people in the time it was written. It was given for a future time. And, and so, but, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, tells us that's how the prophets began to understand things. And then it says they were looking for a very specific person. And they were looking for a very specific time. And it's right for us to look for a very specific person in time. And, and we're looking now for the return of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. And, and we should be doing that. In 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Paul writes these words. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And then he says, oh, Lord, come. Which is a, a, the Greek word, maranatha. And, and you know what, we, we, all of us who love the Lord, we get excited for that. We say that, oh Lord, come. Maranatha, we want you to come. We want that day to come. We long for it to happen. Uh, uh, and when those events begin to proceed and unfold, they get clearer and clearer. Then there's a huge part of us that rejoices and gets so excited because he's almost here. He's almost here. The one we love, the one we can't wait to see face to face, and the one we cannot wait to be caught up and to be heaven with, uh, the one who wants to celebrate with us his love in even a more clear, powerful way. We can't wait for that day. 
It reminds me of Song of Solomon chapter 2, 8 and 9. And in February, we're going to kick off a study of Song of Solomon, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, but, but here's the thing. The Shulamite, the bride, says this. She says, <clears throat> the voice of my beloved... Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping up on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. When you begin to understand that what this poem is saying, it's saying this. She says, I look out there and I see him coming. And I think it's kind of funny. She says, skipping upon the hills. I don't know. You know, there's my he-man skipping. But anyway, uh, but, but, but what she says is, I can see him in a distance and I see him getting closer. And I see him in, at the gate and I see him looking through the window. And I see him at the, and she's just, and the whole point of it is, she loves him so much. She's standing there looking longingly, waiting for him to be in her presence, waiting for him to get there. Now, while I really believe that Song of Solomon is meant to be taken very, very literally uh, about a, a specific couple and it's meant to teach us about a love relationship, I do understand uh, uh, some incredible uh, uh, Bible scholars have believed that it's really more of a, a symbolism between Christ and the church. And, and there probably is a degree that that's true. And so since it is to a degree true, what it is is the church, we who love Jesus. We look and we long and we're excited and we can't wait. We want that day to occur. We want that time to come. We look and say, come, 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 Lord Jesus. That's what a person does who's in love with him. We can't wait for that moment to happen. Um, Pam uh, got a text message, uh, I think it was on Thursday, that said to her uh, from Talia, and she said, will you, will you watch our kids, and is it okay if they spend the night? Man, we could not text back fast enough to say yes. But the problem was Talia didn't respond right away. And so we're thinking, oh, we didn't respond fast enough. We're not going to get the kids. And, man, we're freaking out. You know? And I'm thinking, let's just drive over there and take them. And, uh, you know, and, and Pam's going, no, 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 she'll get back to us. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I hear, yeah, Pam's screaming with joy. And, and, and we're going to get the kids on Friday. And they're going to come around 4 o'clock. And I thought, why not 3? Why not 2? You know, and literally like that. And, and what happened is we got up in the morning and we're like, today's the day. Now, it's not like we'd never seen them. But now we're not only going to get them, we're going to get them to stay the night. And, and we're counting down the time and waiting for it to happen. And everything in our day revolved around those two kids, Noah and Maya, being in our house with us. And you know what? We couldn't wait for it to occur. And here's why. Because we love them. And, and you know what I would say is why wouldn't we more than ever have that same feeling about Jesus? Don't we? Don't you go, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. Oh my gosh, it's coming. Oh my gosh. And you look for that moment. You count down the hours and the days and the times. You know, I got to tell you this is that my, I, I would love to go in the rapture. I really would. But I, I, I know you might not agree with me, but if I go into the doctor and he looks at me and he says, Chuck, I got bad news. Uh, you're going to die. I got to tell you, I'm not going to go, oh, no. I'm going to go, cool. Now, you may not feel that way, and it's okay if you know, but I am. I mean, I just think that's awesome, especially if they take out the life insurance policy that pays off our debt here. Then I'm going to really say, cool. And you know what is, is, is you, you can't understand probably unless you just really get to a love level with Jesus where there's nothing better than the idea of going to heaven. I mean, why not? I mean, I, I'm going to live life to the fullest here and I hope you do too, but there's nothing better than being with him. I mean, you know what the doctor would be saying to me? Chuck, I got really bad news. You're going to a place of no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more gaining weight. Does that sound bad? 
I, I mean, I don't know. It, 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 it's just that when we love Jesus, we can't wait for that. And is that something that we should have in our heart and mind? Well, if you're in Titus 2, I want you to look at this. Paul lays out a statement of faith. Now, we have a statement of faith for our church, but, but let me tell you, this really is a better one. This is the key foundational beliefs of every single person who knows the Lord. And I want you to look what he says in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now notice verse 13. What else do we do? We are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. He says to Titus, you teach this over and over. What is a big part of the teaching? Well, it's, it's that the grace of God is what brings us into salvation, and it's for everybody. And a big part of the teaching is, so live a holy life. And, and what's a big part of the teaching? Look. Look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be excited. Be like the bride standing there looking out for him. Have a passion for it. Get up for it. When the moments begin to happen, get excited about it. In Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, it says, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Now notice, listen to this. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He says, to those who eagerly wait for him, he's going to appear again. And, and he's going to appear to grab us, to take us, to love us. To those who are eager for his coming, who can't wait for it to happen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Malachi with me. Malachi chapter 4. It's the last book of the Old Testament. While you're turning there, let me kind of share something with you that I always get intrigued at. There are different movies that come along. And, and, and maybe I'm not thinking of the best ones, but I'll give you an example. Like the Omen. You know, Omen 1, 2, and 3. Or, or there was a movie called The Seventh Sign with Demi Moore. Uh, 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 and there's other kind of apocalyptic movies. Uh, but, but what those very often have in common is this. We get closer and closer to the end of the earth. Closer and closer to the end of time. And, and the heroes of the movie rise up and stop it from happening. Uh, for instance, in the Omen, you know, they try to kill the Antichrist, you know, as he gets closer and closer. And, and, and you know, the goal is, is they're going to put him. And, and, and by the way, here's what I would want to share with you, and I think you'd agree with me, is when the Antichrist is revealed, even though there will be some, some sadness to that and horrific things with it, there's going to be a part of us. I, I'm not all of us, because we're not oblivious to pain and suffering. But there's going to be a part of us going, cool, he finally is revealed. And, and none of us are going to want to wipe them out. Number one, the Bible tells us what's going to happen. And so we know you can't outdo what God says. But second of all, why would we? We're wanting to hasten the day of the coming of the Lord. We're excited that it's going to get here. And, and so there's a huge part of us that can't wait for that. And, and so I want to say that this is one of those, and I think the perfect word for this is bittersweet. Uh, John is given a, a, a scroll to eat. And it's interesting, Ezekiel ate it and said it was sweet under my mouth when he ate it. But John is told, I want you to take the scroll and eat it in the book of Revelation. And he takes and he eats it and he says it was sweet in my mouth, but it was bitter within my stomach. 
In other words, it's both. It's bittersweet. Why is that? Because on the one hand, you and I cannot wait for the coming of the Lord. We can't wait for us, us to be with him. We can't wait. On the other hand, when Jesus comes, he's coming to judge. And uh, while there's a huge part of us that should be excited about this, there's another part of us that gets a little leery of it. And look at what it says, why. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says this. Malachi 4, 5. It says, behold... I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. The great and terrible day of the Lord. He said, I want you to know I'm going to send Elijah. And if you would turn over to Amos chapter 5, go left a little bit until you get to Amos. Uh, he says, I want you to know it's a great day, but it's a terrible day. Uh, uh, and why is that? Well, in Amos chapter 5, starting in verse 18, listen to what it says. It says, alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or he goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him, will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? On the earth, it's going to be a very dark time. He said it's like a man, you know, ran from a lion and turned and a bear got him. Both ways are horrible to die. But by the way, uh, if you know anything about how a bear kills its prey, it's far worse to have a bear kill you than it is a lion. It's more torturous. It's uh, the, the agony that happens in the midst of a bear attack and the way the bear chooses to maim and attack and, 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 and carry out. It usually is a longer term death. And he says, you think that the day is going to be a good day for you if you don't know Jesus it will be a day of darkness. It will be a day of judgment, a day that will strike terror into you. I don't know if that gets you, if the imagery doesn't get you. But can you imagine anything more terrifying than walking into a dark room and you're reaching around to find your way and you put your hand and a snake wraps around your arm? And, and, and uh, wouldn't that terrify you? And he says, I want you to know it's a terrifying day also. And if someone doesn't know Christ, it is a day of darkness. It's a day of terror. It's a day of, with, uh, of gloom with no brightness in it at all. And God says a time like that's coming. Uh, the book of Zechariah is where you need to be now. And, and notice what it says in Zechariah chapter 14 uh, in verse 6. It's going to read one verse real quickly. And then we're going to go to Revelation chapter 8. So Zechariah 14, if you can't get there fast, go to Revelation chapter 8 instead. And listen to what it says in Zechariah 14 talking about this day. It goes, in that day, his, meaning Jesus's, feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of the Jerusalem on the east, on the Mount of olives, and it will be split in two from east to west by a very large valley, so that half the mountain will be moved towards the north, and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by my valley, my mountain, for the valley and the mountains will reach as far as Azale, and yes, you will flee, just as you fled in the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all his holy ones with him. We're going to go back to that in a minute. Verse 6, in that day, there will be no light, and the luminaries will dwindle. He says, I want you to know it's going to be a horror time on the earth, a horrible time on the earth. And what's going to happen is light will diminish. It will be a day of darkness, a day of gloom. Uh, the earth will suffer from it. And, and God says, I want you to know that's about to happen, that it's going to come in the end, at the very end, in the, what's called the great, but also the terrible day of the Lord. In Romans, or Revelation chapter 8, verse 12, it picks up and begins to talk about the very same instance and uh, uh, of the horror of this time, 
uh, that the world will begin to experience. And this is after war has broken out. This is after Russia has attacked Israel. Uh, it, it's after uh, the disease has come and, and literally dropped the population of the earth by one quarter. And what happens is we get to what's called uh, the three woes, uh, uh, the book of Revelation. And, and just prior to those three woes, this is what we're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. It says, the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened. And the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And then I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels which are about to sound. It's a day of darkness. It's a day of gloom. It's a day where one-third of all the light shows dimmer than ever before. And you walk around wondering what's going on. We can't see as well. Now, now, some people who are Christians and also scientists believe that what we may be hearing described here is what's called the nuclear winter, where because of a nuclear exchange, there's so much dust in the atmosphere, it would diminish, it would diminish our light by one-third. If enough uh, uh, explosions took place, enough of our nuclear arsenals were launched in a major, major exchange, and the temperature would drop, and the radiation would begin to poison, and people would begin to develop sores, which the Bible talks about. And it would be a horrible time on the face of the earth. But what happens are the woes. And by the way, I know I've shared this before, but I never ever want to read that without reminding you that it doesn't sound as bad as it is. Uh, it, you know, when you hear the word woe, 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 the reality is, is these are three screaming shrieks of terror by an angel. If we were reading it very, very literally, I wouldn't just say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I would scream in agony three times at what's happening and how horrible it is. And the angels scream. What causes an angel to scream in terror as the darkness begins to fall on the earth? And it's what we're going to look at tonight is the night of the demons. And what is the first great woe? What is the first great horrible time that makes this such a terrible time and terrible day for someone to have to try to exist in? It's in Revelation chapter 9 verse 1. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the earth, or, the, or hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only men, but only men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, now I want you to catch that. Only men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. God says those who are sealed by him and protected by him, and by the way, when you Receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, you were sealed by God. You were marked by God to be his. And it says those who, who do not have the seal could be attacked, but those who have the seal cannot be attacked. Uh, let me read you a, a wonderful verse before we look at some terrifying ones. It's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. It says this, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who has been born of God, God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
That's why, by the way, when anybody asks this question, well, if there's a loving God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Well, the world is not held by God today. It's in the sway of the evil one. It just makes sense there would be horrible suffering going on, cruelty and, and destruction, because it's not God ruling today, and people, by and large, deep down, don't want God to rule. They don't want his ways to be enacted. But you know what? It says this, if you know him and you love him, he will not let the evil one touch you. You see, when the demons are released, and, and it's an incredible number to be released, so much so that they literally would be like smoke ascending, uh, uh, just millions or billions of them coming. And, and what happens, it says you can't harm the grass of the earth, you can't harm the green plants of the earth, you can't touch those who have the seal of God. If you're a Christian tonight, you're totally protected. Uh, you won't be tortured this way but anybody who who is not they will and and in this time of darkness and gloom more than ever will shine as bright lights in a world that needs us desperately uh, in verse 6 it says in those days men will seek death and will not find it they will long to die and death will flee from them the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and their sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, many horses rushing to battle, and they had tails like that of scorpions that sting, and their tails, and their power to hurt men for five months. And they have as a king over them, the angel of the abyss, and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollon. Uh, that literally is destruction and destroyer is his name. And it says, this is the first woe that will pass, but two woes are still coming after these things. It's a day of darkness. It's a day of terror. It's a day of pain. It's a day of agony. And God says, I want you to be aware of that. And people who do not know the Lord, it will be a day of incredible, intense suffering and horror and fear and uh, walking around not knowing what's about to happen. And, and, and it's a literal five months, but it, it's a darkness of demonic activity like the world's never seen before. Joel describes this in Joel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where he says, they, talking about these demon, demons, they rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the window like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. Did you catch a part of that, what it said? I, I don't know if you did. It, it says, they run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the window like a thief. Uh, it, it, the picture, the imagery of that is, is incredible. If you turn to Zechariah 14, the imagery is incredible. It, it says that, that they will attack anybody who doesn't have the seal of God. They will cause intense suffering. They won't kill, but they'll, they'll cause amazing pain. And then it says that they're going to sneak in like a thief. Someone will be laying in a bed, and, and they'll come through the window. And all of a sudden, they'll seize them and attack them and, 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 and begin to cause this amazing, horrible, unbearable pain. Uh, if you were walking with someone who wasn't a believer, they might be struck down right beside you and, and grabbed, and you would just all of a sudden watch this amazing agony happen. But here's what's really good to know. Because you know the Lord, because the Holy Spirit resides in you, then you would be able to cast them off. Not only could they not touch you, you could actually cast them off somebody else. You could just truthfully and faithfully say in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to go, and they would have to go. 
they would have to leave. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't battle you and try to hang on, but the truth of the matter is, is, is you have that kind of, of authority and power, and, and, and it's in you right now. Now, I know a, a lot of people are saying, is this really going to happen? And, and first of all, I, I would say, because I trust the Bible, yes, it is. And then you might even say, well, I don't see anything like this occurring today. Well, the truth of the matter is it is occurring in the United States today. Now, in this time, it will occur in a far greater degree, more and more. I mean, right now, there's a limitation being put on. God's not allowing the demonic activity to flow at the level it would choose to. He's doing this out of protection. He's doing this out of wanting a positioning to occur. But does it happen today? Yeah, it sure does. I... um was talking with the son of one of my dear friends, uh, uh, Kurt Roundson, who uh, is a neuropsychologist. But Kurt has recently adjusted his practice and research in a whole different realm, and, and that is in the area of disassociative personality disorder, uh, which we very often call multiple personalities. And, and, and so a question that was asked of Kurt was this, how do you know the difference between multiple personalities, a disassociative disorder, and demon possession? And uh, Kurt actually has different tests put in place. Because Kurt has found that while there are those who suffered a psychological break and it's not necessarily demonic, that he has found that there are those who it is demonic, that that voice you hear, that personality that exists is not the person, it's something that's possessed them and taken them. And, and, and it does occur today. Um, one of the tests is just prayer. If you stand and pray silently and they begin to react. If the name of Jesus drives them into a horror. George McKinney was telling me today, and later on we'll have George share this. George is a, an elder here at Crossroads and a, an awesome man of God that he and another friend of ours, Ed Simsrot, and George and he were called to a particular home, uh, uh, or not home, but a, a facility where children were being cared for who had suffered in, in, in sometimes horrible ways. And they were called in because of an eight-year-old boy that, that, that some of the workers were wondering, was he possessed? The doctor who oversaw the treatment was Jewish, so he didn't believe that it could be. So George and Ed were asked to at least talk to the doctor, and they came to talk to the doctor without the boy's knowledge. And, and they were saying, well, you know, we, we can't force this, but we really would like to at least talk to the boy and see. The doctor had already had some eerie things occurred, so that's what created some openness. So he thought, well, I'll just let you see the boy. And, and so they asked him to come in, and as soon as he stepped through the door, he started wincing and reacting physically, and, and, and the doctor said, what's wrong? And he, he, the boy turned and said, I'm not going to say a word if the pastor's here. And the doctor said, how did you know he was a pastor? And he said, the good one told me. And the good one said that if I'm around the pastor, that he would have to leave and never come back. And this doctor, who did not at all claim to be a Christian, decided, well, let's take a shot at this, and uh, he can go with you. Uh, and George was telling me that a, a pastor who they were involved with said, I just don't believe these things happen. Two elders in this particular church said they didn't believe it happened, and they said, we want to sit in. And so when they walked in, there was a video camera there, and and. George told me, he said, I just felt really weird, like the camera, we shouldn't be filming something like this. And, uh, and, and they found out that maybe one of the people was filming it to use it to say this isn't true. 
And what happened is they sat down and began to pray for the boy, and all of a sudden, his face changed, and the, that voice comes out, that hideous, evil, deep male voice. But what happened is the camera was on a tripod here, and all of a sudden, it, without anybody touching it, it just spun and went the other way. And, and the two elders and the pastor who didn't believe at that point looked and said, we believe now. It, we know it's true. It does happen. It is true. You know, and everyone can try to deny it, but the bottom line is, there's a day is going to come where it's going to be so pronounced and so obvious and so amazing and so awful and so horrible uh, uh, that if someone isn't under the protection of Christ, uh, there won't be any denying uh, the, the, par the terror and the pain that comes with it. But there's a good news to this. In the midst of the darkness, the light will come. In the midst of the darkness, uh, uh, there will be a dawn. And that's what's in Zechariah chapter 14. And let's read verses 1 through 8. We already read a portion of it, but I want you to look at it with me. He says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. He's talking to the city of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. He says, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. The houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. In other words, a day is coming, and we know this to be the battle of Armageddon. And when Armageddon begins, all the nations of the world will be gathered into that place to fight a battle that's centered around the city of Jerusalem. And, and the city at first is going to be taken, and it's going to look like defeat has come, and, and there will be destruction that happens. And then in verse 3 it says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fights on the day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from the east to the west by a very large valley so that half the mountains will move toward the north and the other half toward the south, and you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of my mountains will reach to Azale. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come. And notice this line. Don't miss it. We read it before. And all the holy ones with him. All those who are Christians will be, in other words, the rapture will have happened. And when Jesus returns, we will come too. He'll bring us to the earth. It says in verse 6, in that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about at evening time that there will be light. The return of the Lord, while we don't know the day or hour or the exact time, we know that in Jerusalem it will be at evening. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. And it will be in summer as well as winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. And the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. And all the land will be changed into the plain of Geba from Rimmon south to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the plate of place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel to the king's winepress. And people will live in it and they will no longer be accursed for Jerusalem will be dwelling in security. And now... This plague, or now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike the people who have gone out to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their socket, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. And it will come about in that day that a great panic will seize uh, uh, from the Lord will fall on them, and they will seize one another's hands, and the hand of the one will be lifted against another. And Judah 
will fight against Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also the plague will be like the plague on the horse, the mule, and the camel, and the donkey, and all the cattle in those camps. Then it will come about that those who are left of the nations went, that went up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate at the Feast of the Booths. It says that that time is going to come when there will be those who will survive, who are too young to have taken the mark, too young to go against the battle. But the bottom line is this, is the Lord says, when I return, I'm going to take that darkness and I'm going to drive it from the earth. I'm going to take the people who, who have tried to attack and those who were cruel and those who decided to stand against me and they will be destroyed. But I'm going to cause all those who are left. I'm going to cause them to flourish and to grow. And I am going to be on the earth with them. And I am going to reign with them. And I'm going to love them. And I'm going to make everything turn into a beautiful spring with living water flowing. So the people can be caught together. And it will always be light, whether it's day or whether it's night. Because the light of God is going to shine in an amazing way. The whole point is this, is that sometime prior to this all happening is the Lord is going to call us to be with him and to return with him so that we might see him begin to enact his love and care. And in Revelation 19, 14, it says, and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. The Lord is going to bring us down. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13 it says, So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. In other words, he says, I'm going to call you to be with me to miss a big portion of the horror. But when I return to put an end to it, to stop the darkness, to cause light to shine, a light that will never be exterminated and put away, and the earth to finally be brought into its moment, of redemption and peace. He said, I'm going to call you to be a part of that. And so there is the night of darkness, the night of the demons, but there's a light and a day of the Lord where he comes to bring victory. Uh, I've probably told this before, but some years ago, there was a group of cheerleaders from Western High School in Anaheim going to a competition in San Diego. And Holly Evans was one of the cheerleaders and a part of our ministry. And, and it happened that Channel 7 News was doing a series of specials on haunted places in, in California. And they happened to show the hotel that the girls were going to be going down to stay at. And so here you got a group of high school girls watching a, a, a news story. They actually were spending the night together. And so the news happened to come on and they go, that's the hotel we're staying at. And they do this kind of news story about this, this demonic, scary, creepy stuff. And so now think about this. You've got a group of girls now who've watched this. And now it gets late. And, and they do what most high school girls do. They turn the lights down and they begin to freak each other out. And they're getting scared. And uh, Holly's kind of laughing at this. And finally someone goes to Holly, what's so funny? Do you think the hotel's not haunted? And Holly said, no, I, I'm sure it's haunted. They said, you're sure it's haunted? She said, yeah, I really do. But I don't think it's ghosts. I think it's demons. And that got the girls worse. And, and, and she began to describe some things that, that she had heard about demonic activity and how this seemed to line up. And she said, do you realize that, that really we might be going into a place that has high-level demonic activity? Well, one of the girls, now the lights are down, and she's really getting freaked. And she goes, well, aren't you afraid? And Holly said, no. I, I'm a Christian, and I know the Lord, and I'm protected. But if I were you guys. <laughs> and, and she said, good night. And they go, no. And, uh, and, and they literally started begging for her to share Christ with them. 
You know what is the, the cool thing about all of this is not the, the bad things that are going to happen or, or the scariness of it. The cool thing is, is that God says you're protected. He says that, you know what, if my seal's upon you, you have nothing to fear. But, but what I wanted to get at more tonight is, but we're looking for a day. We're excited for a day. For those of us who know Jesus, we can't wait for it to come because we want to be with him. But we also recognize the, the bitter side of it too for those who don't know him. But I don't know about you, I can't wait to be with the Lord. If the Lord takes me before the rapture, then I'm going to be praising him that I get to be in heaven. Uh, if he takes us at the rapture, I'm going to be excited to be with him. Because the Bible says the day is coming where we're going to be caught up into heaven and we'll be with the Lord. And it begins with a major incredible feast in heaven. As a matter of fact, what is described in the book of Isaiah is that he is God himself, Jesus himself is going to prepare the feast. Could you imagine nothing on the food channel will be as good as when Jesus has a throwdown with us. And then he's going to, after we've had this period of feasting and joy and rejoicing and love and sharing, he's going to say, okay, it's time. Uh, uh, and, and you know what? Is, is we're going to want to be sharing with him and loving him and caring about him. And I don't know about you, but my goal is to be as close to Jesus as possible. You know, a lot of people say, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to see Moses. I'm going to tell you, go see Moses. And some of you say, I can't wait to see David. I say, go see David. So you say, I can't wait to see my grandmother. I'm going to say, go see your grandma. Why? I want all of you going to everybody else so I can get with Jesus alone. I want to be there close to him as I can and moving as close as I can in the feast. And, and then when Jesus says, you know what? He says, Chuck, you know, I'm really glad you're here, but can you kind of back off a little? I'll be, oh, okay. And I think, you know, if we walk in heaven and Jesus is walking, he stops, I'll probably bump into him because uh, I want to be as close as I can. And when that day comes that he says, all right, now it's time to return to the earth. Get on your horses. I think Jesus is going to turn and say, Chuck, get on your own horse. You know, and because uh, I'm going to want to be right there. Because we're eager for him. We can't wait for him because we love him. And uh, is there going to be some sadness in what occurs? I think so, before we get caught up into a place of no sadness. But, but the bottom line is, is we need to understand it's real. We're looking for a day to be caught up with the Lord. We're looking for a time for the earth to, to go through this. But, but what are we looking for most? We're looking for us as a church family to be incredibly, incredibly effective at what we're called to do. We want to hasten the day of the coming of the Lord, but how do we do that? We do that by winning people to Christ. There is a last person to win. There's one last person out there that, that when they finally make their decision, that's it, we're, all, we're raptured. And uh, you know what? We want to be a part of winning that person. Maybe they're in Nairobi and we're sending missionaries to Nairobi. Maybe they're in China and we're going to have a trip to China. Maybe they're in Norco. Uh, we're going to be living life and sharing with people at Norco. You know, maybe the person's going to walk into the Tyler Galleria one day and you're going to bump into them next to that gelato stand that has amazing ice cream. And, uh, and, and this conversation's going to come up and you're you're just going to sense God leading in a major way, and you're going to look at him and say, well, have you ever seriously considered just making that decision for Christ? And they're going to look at you and go, no, I, I hadn't thought about it till now, but, but yeah, I'd like to. And you're going to take your chocolate gelato and step over and put your hands on them and start praying. Boom, the rapture is going to happen. And we're all going to look at you and go, oh, I'd be cheering. Who knows? But, but what we do know is until he comes, we need to be holy. Until he comes, we need to be eagerly waiting and watching for him. Until he comes, we need to be sharing in passionate ways for people to come to know Christ. 
And until he comes, we need to be loving each other. Loving each other with every ounce of energy we can. And uh, that's what we want to be. 2009 is about to come. And uh, who knows if that's not the last year. Uh, who knows when it's going to really occur. But we know we need to be watching, ready, and waiting. Now, to be ready, you have to be in an intimate relationship with Christ. And tonight, if you aren't in a very true, intimate relationship with Him, you're not experiencing love with, from Him, and you're not experiencing a heart that loves Him back. I want to tell you that the way you begin to enter into that is to say, I want this. You might say, well, you know, Chuck, to be honest, I know you were kidding a lot, but, but is it really possible to love Jesus that deeply? And the answer is yeah. And I'll tell you this. Usually for most of us, the way it starts is that, and actually for everybody, it says he first loved us. And then we begin to love him back. Well, what I want to share with you, if you're kind of new to this, is that it, for all of us who've known him, our love grows and grows and grows. It gets more and more and more. And so you might not right this minute have that level of love, but I, if you would just open up to him and let him love you and care for you, you're going to find your love just growing and your relationship growing, and you'll get to know him better and better. But you have to have that point of beginning. And if you've never had that, you enter it by saying a prayer. And tonight I'm about to lead a prayer time, and if you've never prayed and committed your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you, right where you're sitting, to whisper that prayer with me. We'll just do it together. And when you do it and you mean it, God is going to put the Holy Spirit in you. And by the way, what we just say, you'll be sealed and you'll have a very special love and protection from Him. Maybe tonight, you're someone who used to know the Lord, but you've kind of moved away from that. Well, you need to come back. You know, you need to come back because this is, this is the time more than ever that, that God wants to love you. And, and if you're not sure even what took you away, or maybe you are, let me tell you, He couldn't want you back more. And he's going to hold out his arms and say, come back to me and come and be loved by me and come experience this. And so if you at one time had this relationship with him, but you're not experiencing a deep, intimate, ex just ex passionate, exciting relationship with God, I'm going to ask you also to pray that prayer. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray tonight that your hand of protection and sealing is upon each of us. And we want to live our lives soberly, and seriously and effectively for you in these days. And I know we still have things to rejoice together with and things to experience until you come, but I pray we wouldn't forget what's most important of all, that we're deepening our relationship with you and we're calling out to others to come and join that. Help us to do it. Help us to love you with all our heart and to love others. Lord, tonight, if there's somebody here who needs to commit their life to you, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would come and you'd begin to stir and touch them. If there's someone, Lord, who needs to recommit, I pray also they'd feel this just your, your touch and they would want this in this moment. That, that the emptiness in their heart would be filled with your love and presence. Uh, that, that, Lord, the significance that they seek, the meaning in life would now come in a way they can't even imagine. So I pray for a person here tonight who really needs to say yes to you. For the one who's filled with fear, there's just so many things they're afraid of. And tonight, Lord, I know your perfect love casts out all fear, so I pray they'd embrace that. For the person who's been struggling, and, and they've even thought about that this would be the year that they'd finally overcome, and, and they've even made up a, a, a New Year's resolution to be different. 
But God, I pray tonight they'd find that strength and that molding and that change from you and they would open up their heart to you. For the person who's here tonight and they just very often feel lonely and not, not appreciate it. God, I pray tonight they would find your love pouring on them in a way that shows that they're invaluable to you. God, for every person who needs to commit or recommit, I pray now that would be their time. I want to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to make this decision? But tonight, if you are willing to either pray to commit your life to Christ or recommit, I'm going to ask you to whisper that prayer with me. But before I lead it, I'd like to know if God's touching and calling anybody to pray this prayer with me. And if he is and you're ready to commit your life or recommit, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me? And after you do, then you can put it down. Is God calling anybody tonight? This is your time. Oh God, praise God. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord. Man, that's cool. You just take a second. Anybody I haven't seen, I want to be able to spot you. Okay, right over here, right here. Praise the Lord. Man, that is so awesome. Praise God for each one of you. And up here, praise God for you. And right over here, praise the Lord for you. Wow, and praise God for you over here. Praise the Lord. Wow. This is so exciting. Every single one of you, this is so meaningful. And right here for you, praise God. Wow. Okay, all of you that God's touching, let's just whisper this prayer together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and cleanse me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I want this. And I want you. So I say yes. I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you have always created me to be. And to live the life that you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for all of you who prayed that prayer. Praise the Lord.